All right. Praise Jesus. Let's go before our Lord one time, one more time. Lord Almighty, indeed we come before you. You are the great God, and we rejoice to be in your presence. Thank you for bringing us here together. Thank you that we could worship you in song. Thank you that we could worship you in prayer. Thank you that we have an opportunity to worship you by returning a small portion back to you what you have given to us. And thank you that we get to worship you by hearing and obeying your word. Lord, we pray for Ben and Joyce Bonatti and their son and daughter, and we ask that, Jesus, you would give them great refreshment and ask that you would bless them and help them to be powerful instruments of the kingdom of God for your glory. And Lord, help us and the other Bible-believing and Christ-honoring churches here in Santa Maria and around the world to sing your praises so clearly that the world around us hears and brings glory to you. Help us to stand firm in your grace today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a German shepherd when I was growing up. His name was Hans. And I have zero memories before Hans. He was around before I remember. And one of the things my dad and I would do is we'd go out to the most desolate desert places you could possibly find and we would spend our days rock hounding and we'd spend our nights looking up and counting the stars and Hans would come with us I don't remember how old I was but a very young age Hans and I found our way into a cactus <laughs> and my poor dad had to take those devil sticks out of two very uncooperative patients Another memory I have, my dad finally abandoned his Army-Navy surplus tent, and he bought one of these new-fangled parachute tents. Anybody with me? You remember the parachute tents way back in the day? Well, my dad and I went for a walk, and Hans, back at camp, thought it looked like a marvelous chew toy. So we spent the night under the stars. Now, I'm not trying to make any theological pronouncements here, but I, I really hope I really hope that when we get to the new earth, Hans is going to greet me with that, that blue rubber solid ball that may or may not have broken my bedroom window. <laughs> now, among other things, <laughs> among other things I remember about Hans was when I was a boy, if I was going anywhere, I was about that age, I was running. And what I didn't know is that when you're with a German shepherd, you should never run away because they nip your heels. And I was absolutely convinced I was being eaten alive, so I quite appropriately freaked out. And my dad, fortunately, was able to save me. But I learned a very valuable lesson that day. Whenever you're dealing with a dog, stand firm. Don't run away. Stand. Not aggressive, but stand. It seems that though I would never compare Hans with Satan, the Apostle Paul had very similar advice about how we should relate to Satan. Ken George just read the passage for us, but let me read it again. Paul says, finally, <laughs> love that, 
That's the preacher's finally. Never mind. (laughs) Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. When we, pass, we come to our passage today, what we're going to find is that Paul unpacks this command to stand firm. Paul in Philippians 4 is going to give us specific strategies, specific ways that you and I can prayerfully incorporate into our lives so that we could be the men and women of God who stand firm. In fact, let's just turn there right now and read Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians 4, 1-13. Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and Yodia and Syntyche's hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Now I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned to be in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, you have heard pastors say, I'm sure hundreds of times, this common advice. Whenever you find a therefore, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. So, in this particular case, the reason we are to stand firm in the Lord is that we have a specific promise. And that promise is found just a couple verses earlier. That promise is that you and I have a citizenship in heaven. Which means, among other things, that promise is not subject to all the frustrations and pains and all the turmoil of this world. It is secure. In fact, 
We're just going to turn there right now because it is so important. Verse 20 of Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. My friends, if you and I in this world are going to stand firm, the only way we're going to be able to stand firm is when we trust in the promises of God for us in Christ. That's where we have to begin. So, let's look at our passage more closely, and we're going to see, as I said, four very specific strategies, four ways that you can incorporate into your daily life this week so that you can stand firm when Satan is attacking you. And our first one is we can promote harmony. We find that in verses 1-3. to Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. You see, you will be able to stand firm against all the attacks of Satan as you promote harmony. Stand firm. Now, Pastor Benji last week reminded us that as we look at God's Word, we find that the Bible is not a book of rules. The Bible is not primarily a book of rules. But there are many rules that are based on what's called case law. And case law is there because from time to time, people mess up. Anybody with me on that? Right? And so the Bible explains in Israel, and then to us to some degree, that when this happens, this is what you should do. It's called case law. And these rules are there, again, not primarily so that we'll be always watching out, oh my goodness, am I breaking another law? The rules are there so that we know how we can relate to reality himself. So that we can know how it is we can interact in this very real world with very real and sinful people so that our relationship with God is more and more evident. Now, for example, here's here's a good example. We have two godly women who found a reason to disagree. What's the reason? I don't know. But Paul said they labored side by side with him. Paul said their names were written in the book of life. These are godly women who make disciple-making disciples and they sin. Go figure. So the real question is, what is the church to do about it? What are godly, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring people to do when their brothers and sisters end up in a disagreement? What if, what if we 
took the time to actively labor to promote harmony. What if we stopped avoiding uncomfortable situations that all they do is make life more awkward and actually take care of business like we're two Christian adults? This is exactly what Matthew 18 is all about. Matthew 18 is clear. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to overlook as many offenses as possible. We would do so much better if we lived by the rule, don't take offense where none is intended. Just forget about it. Thicken your skin. Make sure that you're not paying attention to things that really just don't matter. And let's just be honest. The people who slight you on a daily basis, the people who offend you in some way, you don't know what struggles, what traumas, what bitternesses that are in their soul that make them react in this way that has nothing to do with you. My mom told me a story years ago how she got very offended because she said hi to this lady at a grocery store. (laughs) She didn't say hi back to me. What's wrong with that lady? Well, my mom found out later that day that that lady's mom just passed away. Context matters, doesn't it? And we don't know what's going on. So let it go. Let, don't be so easily offended. This world makes a profession about being easily offended. Don't follow the world in that. Nevertheless, real offense happens. And real people are really unwilling to repent. In that case, go to the elders. The elders, it says right here in Matthew 18, are to establish the charge by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, I have a question. What does that mean? Establish based upon the witnesses? But what if the elders didn't see what is going on? Well, the point that's going on here is that the two offended parties can come before the elders and they can listen. They can hear what's going on and because elders our elders are a good example of this, are bringing these kinds of things before the Lord and are wise, they can decide, hmm, I think you're wrong on this one, bro, or I think you need to repent. And what that does is it brings a sense of understanding. It brings a sense of, I'm submitting before the Lord this situation. And when we do... We are promoting peace. We are promoting harmony. The point is to listen. And then to be humble. And then to actively labor to produce harmony. To produce peace. So church, us, we are to help these women who are disagreeing. Church, us, We are to exhort these men to agree in the Lord. In other words, to put the kingdom first above whatever whatever frustrations, whatever offenses are going on. Go to the Lord. And when you do this, you will stand firm. 
against your enemy. Now Paul continues, and I, I'm pretty sure that what we find in the next three verses is a supplement, is how we go about doing the promoting harmony. And what do we find? We find the command, rejoice! Okay, I want to see everybody smile right now. I want to see, your, I want to see you smile. Okay, you're not smiling. Okay, all right, there we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's coming is as close as your fingertips. Don't forget that. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You will stand firm against Satan as you promote harmony and as you rejoice. Let's look at this. Now the first thing that a Christian needs to understand when we look at this particular command is that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something that God gives to His children. Joy is something that comes from God to our soul and usually through very established means that all of us already know about. We already are familiar with them. Well, what are they? Well, they're Bible study, prayer, fellowship, service outreach, promoting peace. And as we go about our lives and, and we bring these things into what we are daily doing, we'll rejoice. We'll be happy. We'll, we will exalt the Lord. Which brings us to the second thing that we need to know about joy. Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. And you know as well as I do, when we kind of get off on the wrong foot and we start stumbling, we're going to stay stumbling. We're going to stay in our grumpiness until we take a moment, we repent, we take time to remember and then live by God's promises. And we live as if all of this around us is not dependent upon me. But is under the absolute loving, sovereign control of the God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. So what are you focused on? The traffic? The crying children? Are you focused on your fears because your perfect plan won't actually come together? What if? What if instead of anxiety and fear, you and I sought to rejoice so we prayed? Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. Cast your anxieties on Him and because He cares for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but pray. What if we stopped trusting in our own resources 
to meet the constant barrage from every angle of the missiles the enemy is sending at us. You're all old enough to know your resources aren't enough. So stop acting like they are and pray. I learned something a long time ago, and that is you can't pray for someone and sin against them at the same time. You're either going to pray for them or you're going to be rehearsing in your mind all of the garbage and you're really not going to be praying. Likewise, you cannot rejoice and be anxious at the same time. So pray. I mean, how many of us want to be anxious? Pray. Recognize. First and foremost, this is what prayer is. Prayer is the recognition that my resources are not sufficient and God, I need you. And so tell him about it. (laughs) Guess what? He's not surprised. Stop being anxious. Stop being afraid. Make room in your heart to choose joy. Make room in your heart in your life to pray so that you can rejoice. And guess what? Your loving Father in Heaven is so gracious that He will send His Spirit to give you that fruit of joy because you have depended upon Him. And you will stand firm against the attack of your enemy. Now, I told you, we're getting to some strategies here. We're finding out in this passage how it is we go about putting on this armor, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, so that we can stand firm. And we learned that as we promote peace, we are standing firm. We learned that as we rejoice, we are standing firm. But you know, one of the surest strategies to rejoicing is to think well. Verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Even with Yodia and Syntyche. Or whoever it is that you're struggling with right now. You can stand firm as you think well. I just have a question. I don't want you to raise your hand. How much of your day do you spend stinking thinking? You know what I'm talking about. Stinking thinking. How much of your day do you spend putting yourself down or putting that bum over there down? How much of your day do you spend stinking thinking because you're thinking about all the ways that it can go wrong? Because your resources ain't enough. Now, Pastor Benji has labored these last six years to cure us of this malady so that we would remember to preach the good news to ourselves. That is not about my resources. It's about His. 
Nevertheless, we struggle because we live in these sinful, sick bodies. But we spend way too much time stinking thinking. Stinking thinking about fantasies that will never come true. You know what I'm talking about. Those conversations in your head where you finally turn the tables on someone. Or we're stinking thinking about things that are dishonorable. Lusting on television. Lusting on the internet. We're stinking thinking about things that are shameful. Things that you would rather die than find out, your grandma find out you were thinking about those things. Stinking thinking about things that are debased. Smut. In its many forms that our culture excels at producing. Or stinking thinking about things that just ought to be flat ignored. Trivia. Gossip. Things that just doesn't, or at least it shouldn't, have any impact at all in your life. Stop it! Stop it! Don't do it! Turn it off! Look away! Change what you're thinking about. Stop your stinking thinking and think well. What if? What if you and I took the time and effort to put on righteousness by actively thinking about the true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy? Think about Christ and Him crucified. That's a slam dunk. But as I say that, I also need to note that there are many things that are not strictly scriptural that fall into these categories. Not every thought that you think needs to be theological. But every thought needs to be baptized. What do I mean by that? Our thinking needs to be characterized by the honorable, to pick one of these categories. Why should we think about base things? Why should we think and so sully our minds with things that pollute us? And they, they change us and, and we begin to start thinking and chasing after things that are just flat disgusting. And don't fall into the lie well, we need to know and understand what the world is dealing with. Not according to this passage. And unless you're an LEO or some emergency personnel and you need to think about some things so that you can do your job well, you don't need to sully your minds with things that are just disgusting. Soul cancer. Arsenic in your spirit. Listen, how many lusty, gory, violent films do you need to watch to understand that that's what the world is chasing after? Frankly, I got my fill when I was a teenager. I don't ever need to watch that smut again. Every thought needs to be surrendered to Christ so that we understand even the worldly things, like 
what's for dinner, for example, can be viewed as an opportunity to glorify the Lord. I'll give you a great example of this. You should look at the question, what's for dinner, as an opportunity to glorify the Lord, especially when tacos are involved. Because my wife's tacos are solid evidence that God loves us and wants us to be happy. So if you want to get rid of the smut in your life, just think about tacos. Tuesday, Taco Roco, $1.25 a taco, Chili Verde, you're set. And you will stand firm. Or maybe you should go home and memorize Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And start using these as categories when you start thinking and your thinking is drifting. Okay, am I, am I stinking thinking? Is what I'm thinking about in this category? You know, I love my boys. We have uh, Netflix, and so we flip on Netflix every once in a while, and we watch what I call Praise Jesus movies. Planet Earth. Go watch Planet Earth. Either series. The new one is just absolutely fantastic. It's just, the, the filming is wonderful. And okay, you know, there's the evolutionary part with David Attenborough, whatever. But you get to see the creatures and the landscape. And you're like, wow. Praise Jesus. He is amazing. And all of a sudden, for this hour, you're not stinking thinking. Try it. But then, Paul moves on, and he goes and gives one of the most effective weapons ever against Satan. One of the most powerful tools in your arsenal that you can fight so that you can Stand firm against all the onslaughts of Satan. Let's look at it in verses 10 to 13. It is give thanks. Paul writes in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, my, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Stand firm by giving thanks. Now, I need to unpack a word here. I need to unpack a word that you're all familiar with, but many of us haven't really spent the time to figure out what, what does content mean? What does it mean to be content? Now, what it means to be content is a difficult concept because you will search high and low to find an example that is being broadcast, that is being celebrated in our culture of what contentment is. It's all about lust. It's all about coveting. It's all about me, me, me. What can I get? And so, I want to help us look at contentment through a very specific lens. And this lens is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, where Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. 
Faith, as you've heard me say many times, is trusting God's promises for us in Christ. Faith is knowing and understanding what God has promised us and then going through our lives in such a way that we're saying, okay, God, you're going to come through on these promises. And so, for example, love is faith as it relates to God and others. Gratitude is faith as it relates to our past. Joy is faith as it relates to our present. And hope is faith as it relates to our future. Now, if we get this, if we understand how faith then relates to these aspects of life, and let me tell you, it takes some time to think about this. But if we do, then we understand that contentment is faith as it relates to God's provision. For example, in the stuff that he provides for us, in the circumstances he provides for us, and in the relationships that God provides for us. And these ways here, these are simply ways of expressing what it looks like to live life in light of the promises of God for you in Christ. What does it mean to live life trusting God's promises in our relationships? We love. What does it mean? What does it look like to live life trusting God's promises when we remember our past? We give thanks. What does it mean to live trusting God's promises as it relates to our current supply of stuff, circumstances, and relationships? It means we're content. Paul understood that God provided everything he needed. All right, now listen. Paul understood that God provided everything he needed to live long enough to do what God wanted him to do. Paul understood, Paul believed that he was literally bulletproof until he accomplished God's purposes for himself. Paul believes that you are literally bulletproof until you accomplish God's purposes for you. Now, does this mean that Paul had the fame that he deserved? Well, obviously not. I know how to be brought low. Did Paul have all the tri-tip he wanted? No, obviously not. I have learned the secret of being hungry. But Paul did know that it meant I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What things, Paul? What are you, what are you talking about? Well, living in plenty and want. Being abandoned by my friends or being celebrated. It certainly did not mean to Paul that he would score all the touchdowns he wanted. It certainly did not mean to Paul that he was always going to be driving a brand new Ford truck. What it means is that Paul could trust that God would provide every breath he needed until God no longer needed him to breathe. That, my friends, is freeing. That, my friends, is freeing only if you trust the promises of God for you in Christ. 
Because if you're looking at your own resources, <laughs> you better hold on to that breath. But now let's look at the opposite side of this equation. If we live by faith, not by sight, what is sight? What is Paul talking about here? Sight is me trusting in my resources for all my needs. Good luck with that. And if you do, if you do trust in your resources for life, this is what you're going to get. Apathy is sight as it relates to God and others. Regret is sight as it relates to my past. Fear is sight as it relates to my present. Worry is sight as it relates to my future. And coveting is sight as it relates to God's provision for me, my stuff my circumstances and my relationships. This is what it means not to stand firm. This is what it means to trust in your own resources as opposed to the promises of God for you in Christ. This is what it means for you to live without a clear strategy for pursuing the great God who will never leave you nor forsake you. So stand firm. Stand firm, first of all, by promoting harmony. Go the extra mile to help others experience the grace of the peace with God that you have. Help them taste that and want it. Stand firm as you rejoice. Stop fretting and choose joy. Stand firm by thinking well. Quit your stinking thinking. Put good, helpful, healthy thoughts in your hearts and mind and give thanks. You will stand firm. If you start giving thanks regularly, you will stand firm. Look back on your life, especially the hard parts, and give thanks. And know that God was and is with you to give you what you need to fulfill your part in His kingdom. And by doing that, you will trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Now listen, you are not promised a struggle-free life. No one is. (laughs) Certainly God's word would not be so foolish as to promise a struggle-free life. You are promised instead that as you trust Christ to say amen to every prayer that you pray, asking God to come through on His promises, He will do it. You are promised instead to have the grace, the power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes, namely in this case, to stand firm in the onslaught of Satan. So you don't need to run. Now Satan will nip at your heel just as he bruised Christ's heel. But his head is already crushed and Satan is in his dying throes. So stand firm and trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Oh, Lord Almighty, we live in a world that finds it so difficult to trust in your promises. God, help us. God, call us near to you so that we can find you as faithful. Help us to bring you glory by trusting in your promises. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will indeed be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.